You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter number five. Luke chapter number five. If you're a guest today, thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you and to be here myself and pastor's not here. Um, I miss him. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, and so we're, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter number five um, today. Uh, I'm substituting today and uh, unfortunately, unlike substitutes in high school, I can't just show a video and, you know, turn the lights off and take a nap if you want. Um, we do have material to cover this morning. So Luke chapter number five is where we'll be at. We're continuing our series on Sunday mornings, Launch Out, and today we'll be looking at launching out in discipleship, launching out in discipleship. And so Luke chapter 5 is where we'll be, and we'll go ahead and start in verse number 1 here. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. As we talk about discipleship this morning, we have to realize that there must be a desire for God's word. We see that very plainly in verse number one here where it says, it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. The word of God is the key. It's the tool to biblical discipleship. Without it, we cannot have discipleship. Uh, We cannot have uh, a following of Christ without his word. You see, if you're not truly learning, uh, if you are you will not truly learn if you are not truly looking. Uh, if we aren't looking into God's word, we won't learn from it. Um, in high school, one of my favorite subjects was history. I loved history, whether it be U.S. history, uh, whether it be world history, whether it be a biblical history. Uh, I even took a government class and geography and stuff like that, but I loved history. And so as a result, I looked into it. I studied my textbooks. I listened to the teachers. And as a result, I got good grades. But if you pulled up my transcripts for my English classes, you would say, Thatcher, you are not looking into English. And I wasn't. I didn't like English. I didn't care for literature or spelling or grammar or anything like that. But I wasn't learning as much as I could there because I wasn't looking. I wasn't applying myself. Same thing with the Christian life. If we're not applying ourselves, if we're not looking into God's word, if we're not studying it, uh, reading it, memorizing it, we're not going to learn from it. So we have to study God's word. We have to have a desire for God's word. And it requires faithfulness. First, it requires an initial faith in God that he exists, that he is there for you, that he has given us his word, the Bible. But it also requires an intentional faith and the fact that it's a commitment. You have to be intentional with it. 
And so as we look in the, from this passage in Luke chapter 5 at launching out in discipleship, what happens when we launch out in discipleship? What does it look like when we become active followers of Christ? First of all, notice with me that discipleship provides a fresh perspective. Discipleship provides a fresh perspective. In our world today, identity means everything. Uh, people identify with a certain uh, social status. People identify with a financial status. Uh, people might identify with a job or career, uh, with a relationship, um, with, with whatever it might be. But, but people identify with something. And identity means everything to us. Um, a few years ago, I had uh, picked up my uh, siblings from school, and I was driving uh, back home, and I was passing the airport, and uh, there was a car that was going a little slower than I had liked, and so I went around the car very quickly, um, and I uh, saw around the corner that one of Honolulu's finest was there waiting for me. And uh, we made eye contact, and I realized that I was not going the speed I should have gone. And so I got pulled over, and this is the first time I've ever been pulled over uh, for speeding. Um, not to say it's the first time I sped, but it's the first time I've been pulled over. And I was so nervous, and I'm thinking, great, this is not good. You know, I was having a good day, and now I'm going to get a ticket, and it's in front of my siblings. What kind of an example am I setting for them? You know, this is going to mess with my parents' insurance. It's not even my car. This is horrible, and I'm just thinking all these negative things, and you know the deal. Um, he asked for my license, my registration, stuff like that, so I give it to him, and goes back to, the, to, his, um, to his motorcycle. And I turn around to my siblings, and I say, don't say a word when we get home. Because if you tell dad before I can, this is not going to be good. I said, he needs to hear it from me and not from you guys, okay? And so they said, okay, okay, okay. I said, good. So just sit back and don't say anything, you know? And so he comes back to the car, and I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is great. You know, this is a great way to have a, have a good day, you know, is to get a speeding ticket. And I was speeding. I was guilty of that. And... Um, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to give this guy a track. I'm going to give him an invite to our church. You know, something good should come of that, right? And um, so I, uh, I said, look, I said, I appreciate you doing your job. I said, you know, you, you stopped me, and that's, that's, that's what happened. I sped and stuff, and I appreciate you keeping us safe and, and doing what you're here to do. And I said, here's an invite to our church. I'd love for you to be our guest sometime. And he looks at the front, and he kind of nods his head and then looks at the back, and I'm thinking, okay, I've given it to you. You've given me the ticket. I, can I leave? You know, I'm thinking, this is an awkward pause. You know, it's really weird. You're still standing here. You've done your job. I've done mine. And um, so he's looking at it, and he's, he's reading it, and I can see him. His face is, is kind of getting intense, and he says, I've been to this church before. And I'm like, great. And our church was a little bit smaller, and so there wasn't a lot of people. And so I'm thinking, have I, have I met this guy before? You know, does he know who I am? This is not good. And so I'm like, great. Now it, it doesn't look good for my church. <laughs> and I'm just getting worked up, and I'm like, oh, my word. I'm, ah, oh, this is not good for me. And so he, he looks at it, and uh, he's, he had said he's been to our church. And I said, that's awesome. I said, we'd love to have you come back, um, you know, and, and be our guest again. And he says, who, who is Anthony King to you? And I thought, that's a, that's a weird question, you know. And, and if you look at the back of our invites, it's his picture, and it says, Pastor Anthony King. And I thought, that, that's a strange question to ask. I said, well, I said, he's our pastor. I says, it, it says it right there on the, the card. I said, but for me personally, he's my dad. And he goes, okay, I know your dad. Great. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, this is horrible. So I didn't say it to him, but I'm thinking, okay, well, you don't tell my dad either because I have to be the first one to tell him, you know. 
And I'm thinking, this is horrible. Not only has he been to my church, but he knows my family. I said, this is not, this is just getting worse, you know. Can I just leave, you know, uh, before anything else happens? And he says, I know your dad. I said, that's cool, you know, and I'm getting extra nervous now. And uh, he says, let me see your ticket. And I'm thinking, he's going to reduce it. Yes, you know, because this is going to be good. And uh, he grabs my ticket, and he says, tell your dad I said, hey, slow down and drive safe. And I sit there shocked. Like, are you kidding me? And I didn't ask him any questions. I said, yes, sir, I'm on my way. You know, I'll be sure to tell him say hi. And so I drove off, and, and my brother in the back, he's like, oh, you got so lucky. I'm like, I know. So um, just tell them that Anthony King is your father, and that might work. Um, but it worked for me. Why? Because my identity with my dad. Now, I don't think that will happen every time uh, and anything like that. But because I had a position and a relationship with my father, I was able to get a little bit of grace. We as people have to recognize our position towards Christ. Who is Jesus to us? Who is Christ to us? First of all, we see that we are all sinners. Verse 8, Peter puts it plainly here. He says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We see also in Romans 3.23 that it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And if you think, oh, I'm doing okay, just turn to your spouse or a family member and ask them. I'll be sure they'll correct you. But we've all fallen short. We've all sinned in one way or another, whether it be this week, uh, whether it be today, whether it be this morning. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. James 2.10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Just breaking one rule, you're guilty of all. You're guilty of breaking the law. As a result of our sin, there's a price that has to be paid. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. That wage, that, that, that payment is death. And sure, we'll all die a physical death one day, but that death there is spiritual. It's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And that's the price. That's the payment for our sins. But by the grace of God, it doesn't stop there. Because that verse continues, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God tells us in his word that he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. Why? Because he loved us. For what purpose? To pay for our sins, to pay that debt. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our sin, in our filth, in our wickedness and unrighteousness, Christ loved us enough to die for us, to pay for our sins. Again, in Romans 10, verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. At any time, we can call upon God's name. It's a belief in the heart and a confession with the mouth, the Bible says, that we can be saved. We need salvation because we are all sinners. For those of us who are saved, though, we are God's children. We are adopted into the family of God. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, to them that believe on his name. You see, when we put our faith and trust into Jesus Christ, we're adopted into that family of God. We can be called the sons of God. And by God's grace, we can be sanctified. The word sanctification is a biblical word, and it means to be set apart or to be made holy. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. You see, as saved individuals, as children of God, we should be set apart. We should be different than the world. We should be different than our unsaved coworkers. We should be different than those that are not God's children. 
James 4, 8 says, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You see, the more that I pray, the more that I read God's word, the more that I follow him, the more that I draw nigh to God, the closer he's gonna draw nigh to me. And just like any relationship, the more that we get to know somebody, the more we spend time with somebody, the more we become closer with that person. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. We can be sanctified, but by God's grace, we should be sanctified. We shouldn't just say, oh yeah, you know, I can be set apart, I can follow Jesus, I can do that, but it's something that we should do. 1 Peter 2 Verse 9 says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, we should be set apart. We should be distinct in our life. Why? Because God has called us out of darkness into his light. Why? Because God has chosen us. Before, we weren't a people of God. The Bible says that we were, we, were, we were children of Satan, but now we are God's people. But now we have obtained mercy, whereas before, we had no mercy. We should be sanctified. It was awesome to see uh, Wednesday night. We had a, almost 40 people going through discipleship, and it was a, it was a really cool um, thing to see a lot of people you know, going through that program and starting that and committing uh, in that discipleship program that we offer here. Um, and, and going through discipleship is important, and, and pastor says all the time every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. But going through a book with a mentor is good, but we should make Christ the master of our life. You know, it's not about sitting aside from a table with one person studying God's word. It's about doing that every single day. It's about studying God's word every single day for the rest of our lives. Discipleship goes against our culture and society. You see, the world says follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Do what you want to do. Whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good. Discipleship says the opposite. It says follow Jesus. Keep his commandments. Stay faithful to Christ. Obey him. Persevere. When life gets hard, keep going. You see, following Jesus means forsaking everything. We see that in verse 11. It says that they had brought their ships to land. They forsook all. They left their boats. They left their career. They left their family. Everything. And did what? followed him the word forsake here means to leave or to go away from and it's important truth to remember that whenever you follow something you have to turn your back to something else and so if i'm following jesus and i'm saying i'm gonna follow christ i'm gonna obey his commandments i'm gonna follow him and, and live my life for christ my back has got to be to something be to this sinful world my sinful living but yet many of us say i'm following christ yeah i'm following him but our back is to him. Why? Because we're really following our sin. We're really following our hearts, the things that we want to do. And we've turned our back to Christ because whenever we follow something, we have to turn our back to something else. Sometimes discipleship is uh, often associated with this hyper-spiritual sacrifice and the fact that I have to give everything up and I have to quit this and I have to drop this in order to follow Christ. And although that might be true in some cases, we don't ever really give anything up. In fact, we gain Christ. We gain the opportunity to maximize his glory in our life. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul gives kind of a resume of the things that he had went through uh, as a Pharisee, as a religious leader in that day. But he says it all was loss. It was all loss for Christ because at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. It's all about gaining Christ. Whatever I did before, it doesn't matter because it's all about Christ. You see, it's not about us. It, Everything we own, everything we do, everything that we have in our possession, it all belongs to God anyways. 
Matthew chapter 6 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your treasure this morning? Wherever your treasure is, it's where your heart is. If your treasure is in your career, in your job, it's where your heart's going to go. If your treasure is in a relationship or, or a social status, that's where your heart is going to go. But if your treasure is in Jesus Christ, then that's where your heart is, with Jesus, in Jesus. And so it's important to understand that when we follow Christ, we have to follow him and turn our back to everything else. Discipleship gives us that fresh perspective. It allows us the opportunity to follow Christ, to understand that anything else in this world is temporal. It's all about the eternal. Secondly, discipleship produces monumental changes. Monumental changes. Take a look, if you would, at verse number five. Jesus asked Peter to launch out into the deep and let down his nets. And Peter answers, Master, we have toiled all night. We have worked all night long. We've worked a full shift and some and have taken nothing. We've caught zero fish. We've worked a full eight hours and, and nothing's been productive for us. But nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Verse six, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. You see, Peter starts out with zero fish. Zero percent. But yet the moment he decides to follow Christ, to obey Christ, he doesn't just break his net, but he has two boatloads of fish that begin to sink. We go from zero fish to way too much fish. A monumental change there. Another person that I think of when I think of discipleship and the changes that it brings is the Apostle Paul. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. This chapter, we see Paul's conversion. Really, we see him starting out with the name Saul, which as a side note, his name even changes. His identity as a person changes as a result of Christ and the discipleship. Acts chapter number 9. Look at you would in uh, verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, uh, whenever the Bible refers to those of this way, it refers to those who believe in the gospel of Christ, those who believe that Christ had actually risen from the dead. Whether they were men or women, he, brought, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. The next few verses give us the account of Saul's conversion and uh, Jesus presenting himself to him, asking him why he persecutes him, asking him why he kicks against the pricks. And we see Saul meeting Christ here. Verse number 10, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. He said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive sight. And we see here the Lord telling Ananias, Look, I'm sending you to Saul because Saul has already received a vision. I've already confirmed with Saul that you would be coming to him. 
Verse 13, Ananias responds, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. We see Paul's te- or Saul's testimony here. And Ananias says, God, don't you know who this guy is? This, this guy has authority from the high priest to persecute Christians, to arrest Christians. And you want to send me to go talk to him? Are you crazy? This is nuts. But Ananias goes. He comes to Paul. He lays his hands on him because Paul has been blind. In verse 18, we see immediately there fell, off, fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed, and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ." See, Paul here went from persecuting Christians to preaching Christ. We see that these Christians, these early Christians, they're thinking, this is the same guy that was coming to arrest us, right? This is the same guy that was here to persecute us and to kill us. But now he's preaching the very name that he was against? This doesn't make sense. Why? Because he was a disciple of Christ, because he committed to following Jesus. You'll never be fully satisfied without Christ. Never. John 6, verse 66, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? At this time in Jesus' ministry, many of his disciples turned. Jesus turns to twelve, his, the twelve uh, disciples, and he says, Will ye also go away? And I love what Simon Peter says here. He answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. We see here, even in Peter's life, the discipleship. We see him, how he had left the boats, he had left the nets, and now he's at a point in his life where he says, Jesus, where else are we going to go? There's nowhere to run to. There's nowhere to go. You're the one with eternal life. You're the one that we believe is Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter there recognized that there is no satisfaction without Jesus. You see, growth happens when discipleship is present. We certainly see Peter's growth there. Peter goes on to write First and Second Peter. In First Peter 2, 2, he writes, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Just as babies need nourishment, they need those nutrients. We as Christians need those nutrients as well. We need God's word to grow. We need the word of God to thrive. Because growth happens when discipleship is present. You see, discipleship brings others along. So it's not only growth in our life, but it's growth in other lives as well. Discipleship works not as an addition process, but as a multiplication process. If I were a disciple of Christ and I go through a program with Anton here, Anton, if you'd stand up for me. And so we go through this this program and we go through discipleship. Now we've both become disciples of Christ. So I'm a disciple. Anton's a disciple. Now Anton goes out, he disciples Ron. I go out, I disciple David, if you guys would come up. So we started with one person, then we had two people, now we have four people. If we're doing the math, after this we're going to have eight people. Discipleship brings growth. It brings people along. Thank you guys, you can be seated. Look in uh, verse number 10 if you would, in our passage here in Luke chapter 5. 
It says, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. We see Simon's partners here, James and John, two brothers. Verse 11, and when they had brought their ships. You see, Peter followed Jesus, yes, but as a result of Peter's discipleship, his willingness to follow Christ, James and John came with him. James and John followed him as well because it's all about growth. It's all about multiplication. There's monumental changes with discipleship. There's a fresh perspective with discipleship. But one of the most important things we have to realize is that discipleship is a lifelong process. It's a journey of a lifetime. It's not just a 14-week course that you go through here at the church. It's not a seven-day Bible reading plan. It's not a year-long commitment. It's a lifetime. It's a journey. Discipleship first requires commitment. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falleth seven times and rises up again. The question there is not, are you going to fall down? Because you will. You will fall. You're going to scrape your knee. Perhaps you're going to break something. You're going to get hurt. The question is, will you stand back up? Will you fight? Will you persevere? You have to stay committed. Luke 9, uh, verse 62, Jesus says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, it goes back to that principle that if we're following Christ, if we put our hand to the plow and we look back, we've turned our back to Christ. We have to stay committed. We have to be committed to discipleship. It not only takes commitment, but it also takes obedience. Look in uh, verse 3, if you would. Jesus enters into the ship here, which is with Simon's, and he prays him that he would thrust out a little from the land. We see Peter's obedience here in that he goes out a little bit from the land. Verse 4, Jesus prays him again, launch out into the deep. Simon says, look, we've caught nothing. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. We see Peter's obedience here. John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we say we're a follower of Christ, we're gonna keep his commandments. If we say that we love Jesus, we're gonna listen to what he says. It would be foolish of me to say, oh yeah, I love my dad, I I love our pastor. And then he says, you know, I want you to preach Sunday morning and I'm still in bed sleeping. Now, that would be nice because I love sleep. But it would be very foolish of me to say that I love him or that I want to obey him and then I don't obey him. I don't listen to him. It would be foolish for us to say we love Christ, to say we're followers and disciples of Christ, but yet we don't obey him. We don't listen to his word. Discipleship requires obedience. It's not rainbows and butterflies, unfortunately. It takes work. It's hard work. It takes time. What you put into it is what you get out of it just like anything in this life. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What we put into discipleship is what we're going to get out of it. If you put in diligence, it's going to pay off. If you put in faithfulness, it's going to pay off. If you commit, if you obey, it's going to pay off. But if you show up to church once a month, if you pop in late on a Bible study here and there, what you put in is what you're going to get out. See, starting is good, but it's all about the finish. Tomorrow morning, I have the opportunity to run uh, the Great Aloha Run, which I'm looking forward to. And I can start at that that starting line, and I can run as fast as I can. I can sprint, and I can run. I can push people out of the way and scream and yell and make people move and go as fast as I can. But until I cross that finish line, how I start 
doesn't really matter. I can start walking if I wanted to. I can sprint my guts out. But it doesn't matter until I cross that finish line. Why? Because the finish is what's important. You know, you don't, you don't get a medal. You don't get a t-shirt for starting. You get it for finishing. It's all about the finish. Look, if you would, in Acts chapter number 2. Turn your Bibles there, if you would, to Acts chapter number 2. In Luke 5, we saw the start of Peter's discipleship. We saw his commitment to Christ, his obedience to Christ. In Acts 2, we see part of that finish line. It's a historic day in biblical times. It's the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches to thousands and thousands of people and is greatly used by the Spirit of God. Look, at, if you would, in verse 41. After Peter preaches, it says, Then they had gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We see the results of Peter's discipleship. We see the results of Peter following Christ. And this didn't happen because Peter was a great speaker or because he had the perfect message or a funny story or a great illustration or anything like that. That day happened because Peter left his boats. That day happened because Peter left the nets. That day happened because Peter said, look, I got two huge boats full of fish, but I'm leaving them to follow Christ. That day happened because Peter became a disciple of Christ. And you see, just as Peter had to leave the boats and nets behind, we have to drop our pride and leave our sinful lifestyle behind as well. Discipleship is so important. But discipleship means nothing if you have no relationship with Christ. Absolutely nothing. You see, if you have no relationship with Jesus, then this message is really meaningless. If you have no desire for God or for his word, this message is worthless. If you have no need, as you would say, or no desire to grow, this message is pointless. But if you want a relationship with Christ, or perhaps you want to strengthen your relationship with Christ, if you have a desire for God's word, if you want to grow spiritually, then discipleship is what you need. It's the greatest and most critical thing that we can have as Christians to grow as a Christian. Again, pastor says it all the time. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. I don't know what that means for everybody. Here we offer a 14-week program, a lesson, a Bible study that you go one-on-one -on -one with somebody where it takes you through God's word. You learn about your relationship with God, who he is, who Jesus is, about your prayer life, about Christian living, about sharing the gospel with others. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. So I ask you today, how's your perspective? Do you have a fresh perspective? Are you still viewing things a little bit different? Still viewing things the way that your old nature would be? Have you seen change in your life? Perhaps you've seen a little since being saved, but has there been growth? Has there been change? Has there anything been significant in your life? Have you made a lifetime commitment to follow Christ? Because again, it's not just a one-day, two-day program. It's not a 48-hour thing or a year-long subscription. It takes a lifetime. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. It's that important. What does your discipleship look like? Have you launched out in discipleship? 
Do you need to launch out a little bit deeper? What does that look like for you today?